morning we're going to be uh, continuing our sort of little mini-series that we've been doing on um, righteousness in the book of Proverbs. If you haven't been with us, we are um, still in the book of Proverbs. We completed the first nine chapters, going verse by verse, and now we're going to be so we're going through the rest of the book topically. We're going to be going through it thematically and working through some, some big topics in the book. Um, the first thing we, we're, we're tackling is righteousness. Um, this is our third week, like I said, and if you're here our first week, we sort of just did a quick survey through um, some the first few chapters, 10, 11, 12, and just see how like righteousness is just like a massive thing. It's just over and over and over again. And um, so we're going to spend a, a good little chunk of time on it. We're going to spend this week's so our third week, and then Lord willing, next week uh, will be week, week four um, and finish it up. Um, I just want to ask you, what do you remember so far uh, that we've talked about in the past two weeks on this topic? Any thoughts? Anything stood out to you? said was that righteous living is the goal of what? It's the goal of wisdom. Wisdom, wisdom the book of Proverbs, primarily exists to lead us to righteous living. Um, then we said we need to explain what is righteousness. We had to define that. What do you remember? What is righteousness? What did we say? Righteousness means alignment with God's revealed will, his character, who he is. And the Old Testament, that was made known where? It's made known in the law of Moses. It's made known in uh, his revelation, his word. Um, then uh, we, we get the book of Proverbs, like Tuck says, to, to really flesh it out. Um, so what's interesting, though, is that the book of Proverbs really doesn't talk a lot about the law or about Torah. It's really interesting. Everywhere else in the Bible does. And it's not saying that it's ignoring it or it's not important because a lot of times Proverbs echoes the Ten Commandments. So it's clearly calling us to think back to it. But the book of Proverbs is telling us that true righteousness consists not in just merely fulfilling these externals of the law. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't bear false witness. It's those things for sure. But Proverbs is telling us the true righteousness goes beyond that. It goes beyond these external conformities to the law, to the genuine internal realities of the heart. That is what true righteousness consists of. It's not merely not murdering someone, but it's not destroying someone with your words. It's not merely not committing adultery, but it's not even coveting another's beauty in your heart. So it's very similar to the Sermon on the Mount in this, in this respect. That's what Proverbs is going after. Um, and then we said that righteousness in the book of Proverbs can really be summed up how? In one word, which is love. Love. Uh, Paul tells us in Romans 13, Galatians 5, it is the fulfillment of the law. 
Um, Jesus says that all the law and the prophets hang on this one word. Love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. And so we sort of talked about that. How that's sort of like the core of God's law. Love for God, love for neighbor. And it's fleshed out, how? In the Ten Commandments. First half, Ten Commandments, love God. Second half, love others. And then it's fleshed out even more now in the book of Proverbs. And that's what we are, what we're dealing dealing with. Um, then last week we asked the question, okay, well, what about the law? I thought Paul said that we're no longer under law, but we're under grace. What do we do with the law of God? What do we do with the law of Moses as New Testament Christians? What is the function of the law? And last week we spent time just talking about how we as Christians are no longer under the regulations of the law of Moses. It's no longer binding on us. It was fulfilled in Christ. It was all pointing to Christ. But that doesn't mean that we're lawless. It doesn't mean that we don't have any law, that we exist uh, totally independent of any, any law. Rather, we are still under God's moral law. We are under the law of Christ, is how the New Testament puts it. So we're not free from law and just can live however we want. We're under the law of Christ, which at the core is also the command, what? To love. It's the same. Um, and then we concluded last week by talking about the two functions of the law. Do you remember what those are? The two functions of the law, whether the Old Testament or the New Testament. What were they? Expose sin. Good. Number one, expose sin and then drive us to Christ in repentance and faith. Number one function, very good. What's the other? What's number two? To guide our behavior. That's right. That's right. Then to be a roadmap for faithful living, for those who are truly believers, those who have a true re, uh, recreated heart, new covenant heart, and dwelt with the Spirit. So first thing is to convict sin, expose sin, and then it's to guide true believers as they express their love and faith to Christ. Um, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what? You will keep my commandments. The commandments are the roadmap for our lives to show us how to express our faith and love Towards Christ. Um, yeah. Mike, I had written down, I like what you said, John Piper said about the law wasn't a ladder mm. that takes us to God, but it's a, it's a railroad track right. that guides us yeah. in the right direction. Yeah, that's good. It's such a helpful illustration yeah. when I heard yeah. it. It's, like, it's so helpful because. We see in the New Testament about this righteousness by works that, that they're getting the railroad tracks and they're putting it vertical. They're yeah. misusing it. Yeah. And it's meant to be guidelines empowered by the Spirit. We're, we're not even going on these tracks by our power. It's empowered by the Spirit. It's the coal in our engines yeah. firing us down the tracks. And, uh, so, yeah, thank you for reminding me. That's a helpful illustration. Um, so we're going to be using these two functions of the law as we're going through the book of Proverbs. Uh, first thing we want is for Proverbs to expose and convict us of sin and lead us to Christ every week. Uh, we're going to come short every week, and it's not a bad thing. We want that. It's a gift of God to rebuke us, expose us, and drive us to Christ afresh. Um, and then we don't want to stop there. We want it then to guide us and direct us how now to be conformed more into his image and live a life pleasing to him. Um, not sure if you're familiar with the Heidelberg Catechism or not, but let me just read you um, Lord's Day 44, question 115. Um, listen to the two functions of the law. I read this this week. I wanted to share it. Why then does God so strictly enjoin upon us the Ten Commandments, since in this life no one can keep them? Answer. 
First, that all our life long we may learn more and more to know our sinful nature. And so the more earnestly seek forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ. That's the first function. Number two, that we may continually strive and beg from God the grace of the Holy Ghost so as to become more and more changed in the image of God till we attain finally to full perfection after this life. It's the second function of the law. We've got to keep them both with us at all times. Um, that, that is what we're aiming at um, in the book of Proverbs. Um, so finally, we asked the question last week, are there any righteous? In light of what we've just said, are there any righteous? And what was our answer? What did we say? <clears throat> huh? There's none righteous, and, and yet there are no righteous people, right? It depends on what you mean. It depends. In what sense are you talking about? In the sense of the first function of the law, which is to expose sin, there's none righteous because the law demands absolute perfection. Romans 3.20 says, through works of law, no man will be justified because what? Through the law comes knowledge sin. You can't be declared righteous by the thing that exposes your sin. There's none righteous in that sense. But, as you're reading the Bible, you're reading the Old Testament or the New Testament, it says all the time, this man was righteous. He was a blameless man. What do you do with that? If you only have a category, but there is none righteous, well, how do you, how do you deal with, with these descriptions of people? And that's the second sense. It's not the sense of absolute perfection, but it's the sense of a genuine believer who has faith functioning in his life now that he is using the law as a roadmap for faithful living. He's not perfect, but his life is striving for conformity with God's law. You know, it, it, yeah. we say it, we hear it a lot, but it's so true and it helps us so much. But it is not the perfection, but it is the direction. Yep, yep. It really helps. Yep. Amen. Amen. And, uh, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning, just how it, it keeps us from two extremes, two dangerous extremes of giving up or just being casual the way we, the way we live. So, so good. Look at your outlines. Um, this morning we're going to talk about what, another question, and that is who are the righteous? So we've just established that there is a category for Righteous people. He's a righteous man. So, uh, what do we do with that? Who are they, specifically? What does Proverbs say? How does Proverbs describe the righteous people? Um, and then how does it apply to us? So first thing, look at your outline. The righteous are the wise in the book of Proverbs. Um, we mentioned this a couple weeks ago. These two things are inseparable. The wise are the righteous, and the righteous are righteous because they have God's wisdom alive and active in their hearts. Um, the wise are those who bear righteous fruit. They do good works. But they bear righteous fruit, they do good works because they've submitted to, and they have God's word and the fear of the Lord alive and active in their hearts. Listen to a couple Proverbs uh, that really connect the, the two, wisdom and righteousness together. Proverbs 9.9. 9. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, they're parallel to each other, and he will increase in learning. Proverbs 10.31. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom. 
The righteous man has wisdom alive and active in his heart, and it changes his speech. It comes out and produces righteous speech that communicates wisdom to others. Proverbs 23, 24, the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. So the wise are the righteous, and the righteous are so because they're wise. The two are inseparable in the book of Proverbs. So the question is, why is this important? Why am I emphasizing this? Why point this out? Um, you can see how your outline. We've got three implications we can pull from, from this point. The first thing is that this is not self-made, man-made righteousness. It's not you being righteousness from your own goodness, from your own moral efforts that you put forth independent from God. Where is this righteousness coming from? It's coming from wisdom, God's word, the fear of the Lord, New Testament sense, the Holy Spirit alive and active in the heart. You can't boast in this. This is God's working in you. Number two, uh, we emphasize this to clarify that the righteous are not perfect. Who are the wise? In Proverbs, we've seen that the wise man is the one that's willing to admit his folly. Fools are never willing to admit that they're wrong. The wise man is the one that's willing to be exposed and corrected. He receives instruction. What's the word instruction mean? It means that stinging rebuke, that stinging correction that comes into our lives. That's the wise person. He's not perfect. He's the one that's willing to be exposed and rebuked and corrected. Proverbs 9.9, again, give instruction. Give a stinging rebuke to a wise man, and he'll be still wiser. The wise need correction. That's who they are. It's not a perfect person. And then number three is to humble us. Because any fruit that we bear is still imperfect. We are still far from perfect. Even our best righteousness is tainted with flesh. That's why we need to constantly receive that stinging correction from God's word. We can't boast in it. Can't rely on it. And it should cause us to be humble because any fruit we have, it's not, I didn't do it. It's God that's doing it in me. It's his word that's doing it in me. So we should be super humble people. If you're proud and arrogant, you don't have true righteousness. It can't be, because you think it's self-produced when you're not a wise person. It breeds humility if you understand it. If we're true believers, you belong to the family of the wise, righteous. It's what it means to be a believer. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but this is what characterizes you. Righteous fruit growing out of the reception of God's wisdom. And humility should clothe us. Number two, who are the righteous in the book of Proverbs? Well, they are progressing, repenting sinners. Look at chapter 4, verse 18. We worked through this a while back. Uh, let me just remind you what's going on here. This, ver- the, the, this lecture is contrasting the righteous versus the wicked, the two ways of life. And the wicked are those who have refused to submit to God's word. They're fools. And so they, they, they're blind to sin. They're blind to um, their folly. They're blind to the danger that's going to happen. Verse 19 says, The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They don't know over what they stumbled. They don't have God's revelation to guide them. But look at verse 18. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. That's the righteous. The righteous are those who progress. That's what Mark was saying. Just like light shines brighter and brighter from 
dawn, it starts a little bright, and then brighter, 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 until midday, it's growing, it's increasing. In the same way, righteousness begins with fear of the Lord, with faith, with repentance, the first turning of the soul to Christ. And it doesn't stop there. It continues. It grows every day. It pursues um, likeness to Christ. Listen to the Heidelberg Catechism again, the same thing I just read, the second part. It says that we may continually strive and beg from God the grace of the Holy Ghost so as to become more and more progressive sanctification, changed into the image of God, and here's the goal, till we attain finally to full perfection after this life. That's, that's noonday. Noonday is coming for us. Because it's coming, that's what we're aiming for. That's what we're striving after. Um, in our life, progressive sanctification. So, why is this important? Um, look at your outline. I've got two more implications here. Number one, it's important in order to give us encouragement. We should never be content with anything less than perfection in our lives. doesn't mean we'll attain to it, but that is our goal. We don't sort of say, eh, can't be perfect, so yeah, why, why even try, you know? That's not what a true believer says. That our goal is perfection. Our goal is noonday light. That is what we're striving after. But it also keeps us from being discouraged. It keeps us being discouraged because of remaining sin. Because it's temptation is to say, I'm still not perfect. What's wrong with me? Uh, am I not even true? Why, why am I not there yet? It's because sanctification is progressive. Becoming a Christian doesn't mean there's no more war against sin, but the war has begun. That's what it means to be a Christian. Um, and becoming a Christian doesn't mean you get instant victory over sin, but that we grow in our faith and repentance and knowledge of Christ and his word. And then we, um, sin begins to lose its strength and holiness begins to, to grow. Sanctification is progressive. And number two, there ought to be progression and growth. That's an evidence that there is life, there's no growth, no progression at all, no fruit, no change. It causes to do investigation in our hearts because the path of the righteous grows. Yeah, Mr. Reimer. Philippians chapter 3, I think, emphasizes that point very clearly when, when he talks about uh, pressing towards the goal, mm. uh, not that we are already perfect. Mm. It seems to me that what, what Paul says in Philippians has to do with perfection. It's good. And so the goal is perfection. Sorry. And not that we've already attained, but we're pressing for That's right. Excellent. 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 Yeah, I did not think of that first. That's a very good, very good example there. Yeah, and what he yeah. said is just why, in terms of the humility that, that Paul expresses mm -hmm. in that, you know, that he's saying, hey, I, I have, you know, obtained it. Yeah. You know, I could boast about all these things, but they're, they're nothing in that I just press on and. Um,
Number three, uh, the righteous are the blameless in the book of Proverbs. The righteous are the blameless. Um, there's a number of synonyms for righteousness in Proverbs, and blamelessness is, is one of them. Um, and actually, it's one of the main ways to describe the righteous person through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. They were both blameless man. The, the two words which translate blameless are the uh, Hebrew words tom and tamim. And they both have the idea of that which is whole, or complete, or total. It's, it's not so much emphasizing uh, total absence of sin as a, a fully rounded, well-rounded, total, complete, nothing lacking character of a person. Um, I like the Puritans who've been reading through John Owen. He likes the term universal holiness. Doesn't mean perfection. It just means every aspect of your life. There, there is no part of your life that is not aiming at and submitting to and coming around conformity to God's word. It's what He is calling us to. It's not partial devotion while we're still holding on to some sinful way of life that we're not committing to Christ. There's no sin going unopposed. Uh, we're careful to make sure that our life is pleasing to the Lord in every way, every aspect. A lot of times Proverbs translate this word integrity. It just means you're a whole person. You're no different in private than you are in public. You are uh, a genuine person, no matter the circumstances, in devotion to Christ. It's often used with the word walk to show this is a lifestyle. That every day it's, it's how you live, a person of wholeness, totality in your devotion to Christ. Uh, walk, he says that this word is a comprehensive term for total commitment to the Lord. So I got a few verses. Uh, we got a little bit of time here, and uh, I think I got twelve of them. I think we got twelve people here. So I'll call them out. You raise your hand if you want to read it, and then um, then we'll just go through them. Could someone take Proverbs chapter thirteen, verse six? Okay, Jonathan. Uh, Proverbs twenty, verse seven. All right, Danielle. Proverbs eleven, verse twenty. Let me get that. All right, let's see. And then Genesis six nine. So, uh, Genesis 17.1, oh. Job chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 8. Don't let Job scare you. All right, here you go. Oh. All right, uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 6, All right? Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, All right? Oh. Philippians chapter 2, 14 to 15. Philippians 2, 14, 15. Mr. Armour? All right. And then uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. We get that one. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. All right, Mark. Awesome. Okay. So let, I want to look at a few of these verses that talk about blamelessness all through the Bible. So first we're going to do Proverbs. Who are the blameless in Proverbs? Um, who is uh, Proverbs 13, 6? Can you read that? I got it. Okay. Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but wickedness overthrows the sinner. Good, good. So just, just first to point out, they're, they're the same person, righteousness and blameless. We can let her teach, maybe I'll... <laughs> <laughs> so righteousness and blameless, they go together. The righteous person is the blameless man, um, the total commitment person. All right, Proverbs 20, verse 7. Who has that? The righteous man walks in... 
good, good. The righteous man walks in his integrity, tone, his total commitment, total devotion to the Lord. Not absolute perfection, but his total submissiveness and well-rounded, his universal pursuit of, of following the Lord. Proverbs 11, verse 20. The perverse in heart are an abomination to the Lord, but the blameless in their walk are his delight. Good. In their walk, it's their lifestyle. The, the blameless man is the one who's totally committed to the Lord, and it's the Lord's delight. That's who he, he loves. Very good. So you say, well, that's just Proverbs. Okay? Well, what about Genesis chapter 6, verse 9? Who has that? Hmm. Noah was righteous, and he was. I thought there's none righteous. Apparently, in one sense, there all are. It's a blameless person. Not a perfect person, but one who is total in their commitment to the Lord, pursuing universal holiness. What about uh, Genesis 17.1? When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And that's the command on Abraham's descendants. And we're Abraham's descendants in Europe. They, that is the, 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 the basic command of the covenant. Walk before me and be blameless. Not be perfect. That's the first function of law. Be perfect and you've got to run to Christ. But be blameless. Be total in your commitment to the Lord. In every area of your life. Repent where there, there, there is not. Job chapter 1 verse 1 to verse 8. Not through verse 8, but 1 and 8. I'm sorry. Sorry. 1 and 8. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, turning God, and turning away from evil. Verse 8 The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Excellent. So we really get sort of a fuller definition here. What does it mean to be blameless? We've already seen a lot of these terms in Proverbs. It means a person who genuinely hears the Lord. It affects all their life. They turn away from evil. They, have a, they, they live in light of what God has revealed about himself. And it affects the way they live. That's what it means to be blameless. So you say, okay, that's, that's the Old Testament. It's totally different. Okay? Who has Luke chapter 1 verse 6? And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the Good. Zachariah and Elizabeth. They were blameless people, righteous, walking before the Lord. They were people of faith who followed him, total of their commitment to him. When they had sin, they, they ran to him for mercy and they uh, sought to obey him. You say, well, that's still the Old Testament era. That was before Christ died and rose again. Okay, who has Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4? Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and Excellent, excellent. So that, that's the ultimate goal. That's mid-new day. That's what we're headed after, is blamelessness. And that's what's coming. And, and the first stage is Christ does that through his atoning death. We are declared blameless. We're made perfect and clean because of what he accomplished for us. But then we're, gonna, we're to become people who live blameless lives. Um, total in our devotion to, to Christ. What about... Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 to 15. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, 
among whom you shine as lights in the world. Excellent. And then 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless as the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what we're aiming at in this life, blamelessness. Since perfection, we wish, and that's what we would, we, we would aim for nothing less. We're not going to get there until midnoon day when Christ returns, but it's blamelessness. We're, we're, we're their sin. We, we repent of it and turn and cast ourselves on Christ who makes us blameless, and then we pursue total devotion uh, to him, cleansing our lives constantly uh, to turn to him. So... So what implications can we get on this point of blamelessness? First thing is that righteousness consists consists of total devotion in every aspect of our lives. The Pharisees failed because they had merely the externals. And they were devoid of the internal realities of the heart. Jesus said, these things you ought to have done have not neglected the others, the important realities of the heart. Others excuse their sin um, since they keep the rest of God's law, the majority of God's law, but just not the, this one part. Um, that's what Saul did in 1 Samuel 15. He says, I performed the commandment of the Lord while he neglected a significant part of it. Um, the point is to call us to total devotion to the Lord in all of our life and repent where we come short. And that's why we need the law of God to expose that. Number two. This is not some idealistic, um, unrealistic ideal that can never be attained. Uh, sometimes we read and say, okay, Paul says we need to be blameless, but I can't be blameless, so it's just you know idealism. I don't need to take it seriously. Uh, the New Testament commands this of believers. It commands you to be a blameless, righteous person. Not a person of total perfection, but a person who is growing Seeking total devotion to the Lord in every aspect of our lives. Purifying ourselves as he is pure. So those are the two implications. Um, then we got a couple more to go. Let me go through them quickly. Number four. The righteous are the upright. We've encountered this term a, a number of times already in Proverbs. And its basic meaning means that which is straight or, or level or flat. All right. This will keep y'all's attention up here. All right. <laughs> um, the wicked. Who are the wicked? They are those who do what? Are they straight? The wicked are primarily those who do what? They deviate. They bend away from God's standard. Um, uprightness assumes there is a standard to be conformed to. You're straight. You're in line with, with God's revealed will. Um. You can see on your outline, there, there's a uh, three, four references there. Um, you could go to in Proverbs um, just to see the upright are in the same categories, the blameless, the righteous, and the wise. Uh, but turn to chapter 14, verse 9. I want to show you this verse. I love this verse. So encouraging um, for imperfect people like we are. Chapter 14, verse 9. Who are the upright? It says, fools mock at the guilt offering. Uh, some versions say they mock at sin, they mock at, um, uh, what are the other options? Do you have any other options in your, in your Bible? Uh, 
think that's the other one. They mock it sin, mock it transgression. The word could go either way, but it's the technical term all in Leviticus for the guilt offering that, that is offered. They mock at the guilt offering, but the righteous enjoy acceptance. They enjoy God's favor. The upright enjoy acceptance. Now, why is this a helpful verse? I think it's a helpful verse to show us that what it means to belong to the family of the upright is not that you never sin, but that you don't mock at the need for sacrifice. You recognize your need for a guilt offering. The fool does what? He mocks at the guilt offering. Why? Because he can never admit that he's wrong. He can never admit that he needs the guilt offering for his life. But what do the upright do? They don't do that. They recognize that they've fallen short. They recognize that they are desperately in need for God's provision of atonement. And what do they do? They don't mock at it. They run to it. They cling to God's provision and faith. And what's the result? They enjoy what? They enjoy God's favor. They enjoy his acceptance. Not because they have never deviated, but when they do, they run to his provision, repent, and get their lives back in line with, with his law. They're upright. Um, and you can go to Titus 2. Uh, we don't have time, but Paul commands the same for us. This is why he's given us grace. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for mankind and teaching us that we should deny all ungodliness and worldly lust and that we should live soberly, uprightly, righteously, and godly in this present age. That's what God's grace is training us to do. God's grace demands this kind of ability. So finally, in the book of Proverbs, the righteous are characterized by the virtues of the book. Who are the righteous? Well, they're specifically the people who are becoming in greater conformity with the values and the virtues of the book of Proverbs. They're not content with surface obedience, but they aim at righteousness in the heart. Genuine love is their, is their goal. So all we're going to talk about in the weeks to come, all the different topics in the book of Proverbs is what it practically means to be a righteous person. It makes demands in every aspect of our lives. Speech, money, work, relationships, emotions, uh, marriage, parenting, leadership. Um, I mean, it just like, it gets in our kitchen and it just digs around in there. And that's what it means to be righteous. Every aspect of your life, that's what Proverbs is going after. Um, So this is the foundation we're we're nailing down in these four weeks. and we got to nail it down because it's not uncommon to see, you know, the book in the grocery aisle, you know, that's, you know, 30 Proverbs to make your life, you know, better or happier. That's not what the book of Proverbs is after. Um, it is practical. It probably will make your life better, better, but it's first after exposing you, leading you to Christ, and then leading you to live a life that is in conformity with his law. Um, so that's what, that's what Proverbs is, is after. So who are the righteous? They're the wise, and all that it means to be wise. They're not perfect, but they're progressing, they're repenting sinners. They're the blameless, they're total in their devotion and commitment to the Lord, regardless of their circumstances and surroundings. They are the upright, who run to God's provision of atonement when they've gone astray, and they strive to bring themselves in line with God's revealed will. And they are those who are characterized by the virtues of the book. They love one another. All that that includes. So, 
I hope I've modeled for you this morning the balance that we need to use when we go through the Bible or, or a book like Proverbs. We will always be justified sinners. We never grow out of our need for justification by faith. The law condemns. If you rely on works of the law, you're under a curse because you can't keep it perfectly. It condemns, it exposes you. Even our best deeds are tainted. We need Christ every day. We'll never grow past our daily need for Christ to be our substitute and our righteousness. And yet, because we have the Spirit alive in our lives, we will bear genuine, real, righteous fruit. Which is actually good and pleasing to God. Not, it's not true that all our works are, in every sense, totally unacceptable to God. He delights in the work of His Spirit in us. And what it's producing, it's not perfect, but it's pleasing to Him. And it is true, righteous fruit. Um, so this is an imperative for believers. It's not optional. We are to become who we already are. We're declared righteous. We're to become conformed into the same image, righteous. Um, and there's no room for human boasting. Um, it's all of His work. And it's all of His glory. And if we see boasting in our lives because of the righteousness we perceive, we need to examine ourselves because we probably don't have it. Genuine righteousness pr- produces humility. Because it's God's working, and because we're still in desperate need for Him. So that's what it means to be righteous. It's the question, are you righteous? I hope you answer no, I need Christ, and then, yes, I think so, because I tried, I, I'm not perfect, but I know my need for Christ and atonement, and I delight and desire to bring my life in greater conformity, day by day, to His revealed will. I desire to be empowered by the Spirit, by faith in the Word, to cruise down the railroad tracks of His law. That's what I want. That's what I'm after. And that, if that's you, then you, you belong to the family of the righteous in the Bible. So next week, Lord willing, we're going to conclude this mini-series. And um, we're going to discuss just how important this righteous fruit is. Is it essential that we have righteous fruit in our lives, or is it just icing on the cake? Will there be a judgment one day according to works? Um, what does what do we do with the Proverbs that promise eternal life for those who do righteous works? What do we do with that? Um, but you probably answer that already now that we've talked about the two functions of the law and uh, the two senses of righteousness. But we're going to hammer away at that. Uh, probably go to a few New Testament texts, and uh, so it's it's good. I'm excited for it. So be thinking on that. Um, we got a couple minutes. Any questions, comments, thoughts, rebukes? <laughs> See, this we need to make a lot of, of God's grace. Mm. Grace that exceeds mm. our sin and our guilt. Mm. Because uh, the law does not give us a basis for acceptance before God. Mm. It's grace. Sorry, you, uh, you gave a good illustration to me last week, the speeding ticket, right? The, 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 uh, the, how did it go again? Well, just, I, I got the speeding ticket after driving for about 100 miles at exactly the right speed, but I turned a corner and I, yeah. for about five minutes I drove over the speed yeah, and the cop stopped me and he never said, gave me any compliments for driving all that time, <laughs> you know, on the speed limit. 
you just take it to be for the five minutes of yep. first speed. Yep. Yep. That's the law. And the good. law, the law doesn't compliment you for doing good. It it, uh, it condemns you for doing wrong. Yep. 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 The or the, the, the grace comes from God, not from the law. Sorry. Excellent. Yep. So we, we never need to forget that first function of the law. We keep that with us always. And if we ever come to the point we think we don't need Christ, or we see a, a lack of joy or reliance on grace or dependence on grace, we need to go re-examine ourselves and go to the law and be uh, reproved again. Uh, that's the first function. It's essential. Um, then uh, through faith and gratitude and love, pursue conformity. So, good. Anything else? You just did on the same vein there. Uh, this is an illustration that's always helped me to think about going through life, you know, the track, the railroad track. Where you're on a river and you're in a canoe and you have it, and by yourself, you have a paddle or and one side is law and one side is grace. And the thing is, you have to you have to balance. You know, you think about how somebody uh, that uses a kayak or a or a, a, a rope. Yeah. And the thing is, if all you do is law, huh. then you're going to go off in this direction into the bank of, uh, of uh, self-righteousness and Pharisee uh, type behavior. And if all you do all you do is grace, hmm. you're going to run onto the bank of just emotion and uh, licentiousness. Exactly. So we always have to keep that balance. That has stuck with me. Huh. I heard that probably 40 years ago in a message, and it has always stuck with me that. I need that balance between yeah. law and grace. Excellent, excellent. Yep, beautiful, beautiful. So yeah, keep those in your back pocket when you go to any part of the Bible. The Bible is always doing these two things. It's always doing, I mean, at the heart of Sinai, God proclaims, the Lord, the Lord, God merciful and gracious, slow to anger to God and mercy. And in the heart of the gospel, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus comes, just exposes us. And, um, so it's good. Amen. All right, well, let me pray.